0: The scripture reading before Brother Martinez's lesson will come from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. That can be found on page 978 on the red pewback Bibles in front of you. Ephesians chapter 4, starting verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness.
1: The Bible urges us to onward toward a stronger spiritual life. Acts 5.42 says every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. God wants us to keep going and to keep growing in our faith. Jesus told his disciples to continue in his word, even when we suffer. God still wants us to keep going. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12.21. If God wants us to have a stronger spiritual life, why do some people become quitters? Let's think about a few reasons here why people might stop growing and give up. First, some people do not grow because they are too easily offended. Jesus predicted that some Christians would start well, but would develop no roots for this very reason. Matthew 13, 21. No Christian can do much for the Lord while wearing his feelings on his sleeves. Second, some people are very determined to have their own way. If they can't get what they want, they quit. Christians need to understand that the church is a body and that members must work together. Philippians 1 challenges us to strive together for the faith of the gospel. If a person is not willing to yield, there will be a very little service to God. James 3.17, turn with me to James 3.17, James 3.17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality, and without hypocrisy. A third reason why some people stop growing and give up is that they let the world success pull them away from the Lord. It is very, very tempting to want to begin storing up treasure on all the earth. Matthew 6:19 verses 21. Jesus said, "A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses." Paul talked about a friend named Demas who had forsaken him, having loved this present world. 2 Timothy 4, verses 10. Some people give up because the world is very attractive to them. Fourth and finally, some people quit because they put very little into serving God. And as a result, they get very little in return. They give almost nothing. They never talk to a sinner about his soul. They have very little knowledge of the word of God. They refuse to invest much time or energy in the work of the Lord. In conclusion, do not give up. Knowing God is the greatest thing anybody could ever do with their lives. Think about the reasons why some people do not grow and ask yourself this question. Is there any really good reason to stop growing as a Christian?
2: Now that we know what might stop us from growing, let's look at why it is important for us to be growing in our faith constantly. A common feature among all living things is the fact that they grow. Small acorns will grow into large trees, caterpillars will grow into butterflies, seeds grow into whatever plant they come from, and little children will eventually grow into adults. Another common feature among all living things is the fact that they do not stop growing until they die. Trees constantly shed and grow new leaves, grown men and women keep growing. If not, we'd never heal from cuts, our hair and nails would not need to be trimmed, and surgeons could never operate because their incisions would not heal. God wants us to grow as well. In fact, he has commanded us to do so. If we are not constantly growing in our faith, then we are not truly doing what God wants us to do. So for the next few minutes tonight, let's look at three things that the Bible has told us about growing in our faith. First, the Bible has commanded us to grow. If you would open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter three. 2 Peter chapter three, verse 18. The passage says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And if you're still open to Second Peter, you can turn back a few pages to First Peter chapter two, verse two. In this verse, we are told to be like newborn infants who desire the gospel like milk it 's interesting that the Bible tells us to be like infants infants as those of you who are parents no doubt know are wholly dependent on their mothers and fathers to for survival. when we take this information and put it in the context of our own lives, it becomes clear that God wants us to be wholly dependent on him in his word. if we do not have time in our lives for the excuse me, we need to be sure that our external activities are not preventing us from taking time to study the Bible and pray. If we do not have time for in our lives for these things, can we truly say that we're dependent on God? If we're not dependent on God, then we will be unable to grow in godliness and faith, as we'll see in our next point. First Corinthians 15 verse 58 says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If we want to be spiritually alive, we must always be growing. Second, if we fail to grow as Christians, the only alternative is to begin the process of drifting away from Jesus. Just as the human body cannot survive on food that it ate last month, neither can the spiritual man continue to live on last month's studies, classes, or sermons. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In VBS, we often sing a song about studying the Bible. One of the lines says that if we forget our Bible and we forget to pray, then we will shrink. Even though this is a kid's song, it still carries an important message for us adults. And that is that when we neglect the studying of our Bible and we do not pray, then we will inevitably fall away from God and wither like a plant without water. Sometimes life makes it seem like there's no possible way to ever have time to study the Bible. However, God knows our tendency to want to give up, and he has provided us scriptures for encouragement. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Joshua 1 verse 9, a verse I imagine many of us are already familiar with, says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Before I leave this point, I would like to add one more thing. No Christian can ever reach a point in their lives where they can comfortably retire from Christianity. This is a lifelong commitment to God, and so long as we are alive, there will always be things we need to learn and works we need to accomplish. Even though some of us are not as strong or can cook as well as others, we can still find ways to serve the church in our own areas. Sometimes when serving the church, sometimes we can serve by simply being here and encouraging others with our presence. Christianity is a new life and it never grows old or useless. A third reason why we must continue to grow is that God commends those who do so. Consider the kind of people that God commends. He commends people for taking responsibility for their faith. The Bible says, "'Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is it my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling.'" Philippians 2, verse 12. God also commends those who do more than what is required. Philemon 21. God loves people who live boldly for Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8. Romans 15 verse 14 reads, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. From this passage, we can determine that God commends those who are full of goodness. Another group God commends are those who have evangelistic zeal. Romans 1 verse 8 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Finally, God commends people for sacrificial generosity. Second Corinthians eight verses two through five. God does not want us to fail. He wants us all to live for him and to serve him. It is because of this that he commends and encourages those who love and desire to live and grow for him. Tonight, we have now looked at three things that the Bible has told us about growing in our faith. God has commanded us to grow and we are told to be dependent on him and his words. If we decide to not grow in faith, then we will inevitably fall away. Finally, God commends those who choose to grow in faith. Growing takes time and not everyone grows at the same rate as others. However, So long as we strive to live for Jesus, we can rest assured that he will reserve a place in heaven for us. For those who are older, God still wants you to grow as well. Remember, God wants us all to grow in faith daily. Even the elders must also study and grow in their faith. Only in death when we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, will we finally be able to rest. So until that time comes, let us all make sure that we are constantly striving to grow in our faith.
3: Growth, for most of early life, comes rather naturally. Babies, unless they have to deal with some certain medical or genetic conditions, will grow. They'll grow taller, they'll grow wider, and they'll grow stronger. Eventually, babies get a little older, and they become children. And once they're children, they learn how to speak. Interestingly, research repeatedly affirms that children, when compared to adults, actually pick up on language and language patterns much more efficiently. Then, children enter the schoolroom, and for hours and hours and hours a day, they're in an environment expressly designed for their learning in multiple subjects. The point is children are expected to grow and to some degree they are guaranteed to grow. Why then does growing seem to become more difficult the older we get? Many explanations abound for this, but one explanation is that just simply the things that we need to learn and need to grow in are harder. And we know this right? There's a difference between learning that two plus two equals four, what a vowel is, and pursuing a degree in computer science. The two things, they're not even comparable. And this applies in a spiritual sense as well. Upon recognizing their guilt of sin and making the decision to become a Christian, the young Christian may quickly gain a greater conviction for fundamental parts of the faith, such as baptism, the inerrancy of scripture, and the need to remain faithful for life. And as commendable as this is, We all as Christians, at some point, need to make more intentional and take more diligent steps in our our efforts to grow in our faith. For most of us, it is growing in our relationships and our interactions with others that can present the most difficulty. So with that said, let's look at tonight just two areas, patience and concern for others, in which we as Christians must grow. First, Christians must strive to become more patient. As good of learners and as good of growers as children are, patience is not one of the things that comes naturally to them. Indeed, we must all be very deliberate in our efforts to be more patient. The Bible describes two main sorts of patience. One is a sort of personal patience, which typically involves our patience with God and waiting on his promises to be fulfilled. And there is a second form of patience, which we can call a sort of interpersonal uh, patience. And as the name suggests, this typically involves our patience with others, as well as God's patience with us. As Christians, it is, our duty to, it is our duty to grow in both forms of patience. First, let's discuss personal patience. Again, this involves waiting on the fulfillment of God's promises. A prime example of needing this form of patience is Abram, or Abraham as we know him now. Abram had to wait until he was 75 years old until he saw, he had to wait 75 years until God promised him his first son and a great nation in Genesis 12. And it wasn't until a quarter century later and even a name change before he saw his firstborn Isaac and the beginning of the great nation that God promised him. For us now, an eternal reward awaits us if we strive for the same kind of patience that Abraham had. In Romans chapter eight, Paul explains that we hope for a reward that we cannot see the redemption of our bodies that awaits us in heaven. In verse 25, we read, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. God has made promises to his children for as long as they have been his children. And as Christians now, we are his children. And it is incumbent upon us to recognize that the fulfillment of God's promises may not always occur on as quick of a timeline as we would like it to occur. Certainly, we know this is true with his ultimate promise to us, heaven. We, won't, we will not see that realized until the day of judgment, whenever God has appointed that to be. Even on our lives here on earth, this applies with our prayers. We know that our sincere and earnest prayers are heard, First, John 5, 14. Again, though, we cannot and must not expect God to operate according to our desires. Going back to Ab- Abraham, we know that apart from promising a great nation, Abraham also made, or God also made another promise to Abraham, He promised Abraham that all families of the earth would be blessed through him. This is quite the astounding promise, it is. But as Christians, we know that this promise was fulfilled. We know who this blessing is. It is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. How can we not trust in God when he has kept so great a promise? As Christians, we must also learn to be patient with others, to be slow to anger. When those around us frustrate us, annoy us, anger us, or even wrong us, this is when our patience must come into full view. In Proverbs 14.29, we see that quickly succumbing to our anger is actually a sign of immaturity. It is a sign of a lack of growth. We read, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. We must learn not to lash out at the first instance of feeling wronged or harmed or annoyed or angered. Now let's look at another passage. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. In this passage, Paul provides the Thessalonian brethren with some exhortations that are probably not new to us. 1 Thessalonians 5:14. Paul writes, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Again, these words are probably not new to us, but it's the way that he finishes this thought that is the most interesting. He writes, be patient with them all. The implication, of course, is that it is the idle and the faint-hearted and the weak that are parts of the, that are some of the people that are more, most likely to annoy us or test our patience, as the saying goes, not only in the kingdom, but in the workplace as well. Whatever the case, and whoever tests our patience, Paul instructs us, instead of letting our annoyance and our anger get the better of us and becoming critical and impatient people, what we ought to do instead is to actively encourage and admonish those who test our patience. The issue is, perhaps we too often conceptualize patience as this sort of passive activity, where we're just tapping our feet, waiting on those who just aren't as far along as us or just aren't as good as us. As Christians, this is not the proper model of patience. As Christians, we better demonstrate patience by proactively encouraging our brethren, especially those who we may otherwise struggle to accept. Now, concerning the phrase slow to wrath, it is important to note that wrath, and specifically God's wrath, is closely associated with judgment in scripture. In the book of Romans, Paul cites this this sort of wrath many times. In chapter five, verse nine, he writes, Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. In Romans 2.5, we also read, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Clearly, God's ultimate demonstration of judgment or God's ultimate demonstration of wrath will come on the day of judgment, whenever he has appointed that day to be. But we also know, on the other hand, that God is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. So we know we have two realities. We know that God is capable and he will exercise his wrath someday, but we also know that he is patient with us. So this leaves us knowing that God has given every soul ample time and opportunity to be spared from his wrath, to accept the salvation that he freely gives. And he does this in spite of the fact that we repeatedly fall short of the mark that he sets for us. In other words, God is quite literally undyingly patient. We must strive to be the same and it being difficult is no excuse. A second area in which we must endeavor to grow as Christians is in our concern for others. Paul epitomizes the selfless attitude and deep concern that we should have for others. Several times, Paul makes what can be seen as rather extreme claims when he's trying to convey just how deep his concern is for others. Let's take a look at one example. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter nine, verse three. Romans nine, verse three. This is one of the examples of how deep Paul's concern is for others. Romans nine, three, he writes, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he also writes, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Apart from these words, we also know that on a grander scale, Paul went on three missionary journeys all over the world, establishing and, and encouraging the early churches. Paul also famously recounts many of the trials that he had to endure in 2 Corinthians 11. These include multiple beatings, multiple stonings, and multiple shipwrecks, just to name with a few of the things that he had to endure. But at the end of this very famous passage, he confesses, and apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. Evidently, what was always at the forefront of Paul's mind, even in the face of all the persecution that he had to face, was his deep concern for his brethren everywhere. It is sobering to consider that as busy a man in the kingdom and as persecuted a man as Paul was, he always, always, always had time for his brethren. Now our concern for others must not be limited to just an, a sort of internal sympathy for our brethren. If we truly care for our brethren, we will make supplication for all the saints, Ephesians 6:18. Instead of simply keeping our sympathetic thoughts to ourselves, if we relate to God, our concern for others through prayer, we know that He listens and that He will provide. It is also good to mention to others that we are praying for them. Paul does this himself in the beginning of many of his letters. And as we've seen, we must also not hesitate in encouraging and admonishing our brethren. These are all important things when it comes to the concern for our brethren. But the most important concern that we can have for others and our brethren is concern for their soul. After all, it is concern for souls that Paul traveled, it is, the, Paul, it is concern for souls. That's the reason why Paul traveled all over the world. It's the reason why he was constantly praying for them and it is the reason why he felt such immense pressure and anxiety. It's souls. When we recognize the importance of souls and the need for every soul to come to Christ, then all other other displays of concern will come naturally, and they'll be for the right reasons. We'll we'll do these displays of concerns in the name of Christ. So let us constantly remind ourselves of every soul's need for Christ, and in so doing, we will speak to more about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and bring more souls to salvation. Tonight we have considered just two areas, patience and concern for others, in which we as Christians must grow. Certainly we know that these are not the easiest things to implement in our lives, but we also need to recognize that these are just two of the fruits that we as Christians must bear. There are many other fruits that we need to strive to bear. So let us always remember that as Christians, we must never, never grow complacent in our faith, but continually seek to grow. There may be some here tonight who do not yet have the opportunity to grow as Christians because they have not been added as a member of Christ, as a member of the body of Christ. If this is you, in just a few moments, you have the opportunity to come forward to confess the name of Jesus Christ and be added to the Lord's church through baptism. Or if you know that you have not been as faithful or diligent a servant of Christ as you can be, you can make that known as together we stand and sing.